0: Episode 31. Guys, thank you for joining us again this week. We have had some great interviews these past few weeks, and we're going to continue to have great interviews throughout the rest of this offseason. We have Bly Madras coming on next week. We're super excited about it, but we called this episode tonight because there is a lot to talk about. We're going to break down all the news that has broke this past week with Trevor Williams, Jose Asuna, talk about maybe some potential free agent signings that have uh, become a lot more realistic and Maybe where Adam Frazier will end up. We're going to talk about the Rule 5 draft, some Hall of Fame ballot additions. We got a lot to get into tonight. Gentlemen, how are you doing? How was your week?
2: Uh, yeah, you know, it was a interesting week. You know, the first three days of the week went pretty normal, but Thursday for me with work where my students are back to virtual again, so I'm back to being at home during the day, but that's not the end of the world because my oldest son's school is currently virtual until at least December the 4th, so makes things easier on everybody whenever both my wife and I can be home during the day to help with schoolwork. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting week. Definitely for us to, you know, out, um, out this way, we're obviously with Thanksgiving coming up, trying to figure out, you know, how to move forward here these next couple of days, but, you know, hopefully everyone's staying healthy and we appreciate you guys taking the time to continue and listen
0: Certainly. We always appreciate listeners. Thank you guys for being with us here tonight. A busy week leading up to Thanksgiving is as usual. This week, this year was extra busy for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Two days ago, they decided to part ways with Trevor Williams and Jose Asuna. Two names that have been around for for a little bit now in Pittsburgh. Trevor Williams, obviously, a little bit longer and, uh, you know, made more appearances. But both of these are are sad, Um, you know, as fans to watch them go. Let's talk about Williams a little bit. He got to Pittsburgh in 2015. He was called up in the later months of 2016. In his career, he made 94 starts. Ended with a 4.43 ERA with the Pirates. Career-wise, and um, you know it, it's tough because there was so much, I guess, to look forward to for Williams coming into this season. It didn't work out. It was a slow regression. Uh, he ended the season two and six, uh, 6.18 ERA. It's sad, guys. There's no way around it um, that Trevor Williams' career as a Pittsburgh Pirate has come to an end.
2: Yeah, this is definitely a move that wasn't very surprising to me. Um, Coming into the offseason, we had Williams pegged as a potential non-tender candidate for arbitration anyhow. So I think this, this move coming now instead of waiting a few weeks is not a surprise. And it probably goes to show that he didn't have any trade value Um, If the Pirates thought he had any trade value at all, they would have held on to him and tried to trade him when it came arbitration time. So I I think it's a sign of that as well. But no, I mean, Trevor, you know, his overall body of work in Pittsburgh, he had that terrific run, obviously, from May of 2017 through, what was I think, May of 2019 before he went on the injured list. But, you know, ultimately, what, what Trevor Williams brings to you on the baseball diamond, there's a lot of pitchers in the league who can give you that back end of the rotation production.
1: Yeah. And that's the point here, Marty is with, with the direction of pirates are heading in, they didn't, you know, Ben Charrington didn't feel the need to pay Williams, his potential, you know, I think it estimated around 4 million in arbitration uh, to, like you said, to put up results of close to an ERA of six or the last two seasons. So uh, it's, it's, like you said, it's tough, but in terms of just production, we much rather see them give a younger guy a chance in a rotation at this point. Um, Like you said, obviously the fact that there wasn't, you know, a trade market for Trevor Williams also suggests that teams overall just do not like, you know, his body of work. And I think Trey, you put it best, you know, he just really regressed, you know, each start out this season and You know, I hope that he's able to find a role somewhere because, you know, he deserves it. He's a hard worker, great guy. Um, But, you know, it's it was definitely it's time to give, you know, younger pitchers a a chance. I think the
0: word deserve is is important there because this guy works, man. You know, this offseason, we heard about how much he was grinding to to get right for this season. It just didn't work out, I think. You know, there's a landing spot somewhere for Trevor Williams, um, but you know, even off the diamond, this one hurts when you think about the things that he's done for the city of Pittsburgh. Project Thirty Four. Um, you know, he had the, in my humble opinion, podcast with Stephen Brault. He really, I think, meant more than just a player. Obviously, meant more than just a player to this city. I, I think his impact too is is gonna is gonna hurt leaving the city of Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, I think you know he made an immediate connection you know, when he earned his first win and went over and hugged his dad. And we, we learned a lot about Trevor Williams at that moment. And, you know, I think a lot of people are watching, you know, the pirates still at that point and we're still, you know, relatively, you know, engaged with the team. So I think a lot of people saw that and, you know, a city like Pittsburgh, the people, they embrace that, you know, more than anything.
0: Williams will be missed an emotional uh, post on social media that's this time of the year, though. This is this is what happens. And, and like Marty said, this was no surprise. We saw this coming for a while. The market wasn't there. You just have to hope for the best for Trevor Williams moving forward. Definitely um, will be missed in Pittsburgh for the career he had. Jose Osuna was also designated for assignment. Um, you know, this is a guy that, that had meaningful at-bats for this team, really gave some production at times when it was needed. But overall, he could just never find that consistency. And, um, you know, I think that's eventually what did him in. For fans... You know, why does this move make sense? Why was this move done uh, right now? And, you know, what What do you guys see in Jose Asuna's future?
1: For me, it was pretty simple. It came down to Jose Asuna versus Will Craig. And Will Craig, obviously, being a former first-round pick, uh, more years of control, cheaper control at this point, And, you know, less of a track record of not necessarily – you know, Osuna, we know what he is at this point, Craig, you know, he's still a little bit of an unknown at, you know, we'll see what he can do at the major league level. You know, I think it's very similar to Williams where, you know, it's, it's time to move on and give the younger, the younger guy a chance, you know, in worst case, what are you really going to be losing in the long run with, with their production, you know, over the last few years.
2: Yeah, I agree with you there with Osuna. I think another factor as well with Osuna was definitely the emergence of Philip Evans last year. Um,
1: good point, good point. I mean, I know it was
2: a very small sample size before he got injured, but Evans is going to give you – he's not going to give you the power Osuna does, but it seems like a guy that can hit for a higher average and get on base more. So you know, and, and definitely going to be better defensive. Except Evans can also play second base. So, you know, I, I think that was a factor there as well. But ultimately, again, guys like Jose Asuna, they're, they're a dime a dozen around the league. You know, you're not, Jose asuna is not going to be the difference between the Pirates getting back to the postseason or not. I know he's a guy that a lot of Pirate fans have always loved because he'd have a big spring training or good numbers in the minors. But for the most part, that's never really translated to the majors. Now, to his credit, he's always been a terrific pinch hitter. But, you know, moving forward with the universal DH looking like a slam dunk for 2022, if not 2021, the need for pinch hitters aren't what they, what it, what it used to be. So that's probably a factor here as well.
1: Also, you know, there's reports that he is going to sign a deal um, overseas. So, uh, you know, it sounds like a little bit of a better opportunity for him to go make some money and maybe, you know, get a chance to play a little more and, you know, prove what he can do over there. So that's one thing you'll see from time to time with with these, you know, kind of quad A players, we often call them.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. You see that a ton with the Jose Osuna's of the world. Um, and, and, you know, I think this speaks to the overall plan, the reconstruction that's going on in Pittsburgh right now with this ball club. You mentioned Philip Evans and, and Will Craig as well. How do they kind of work with each other? And, and who do we see filling Jose Osuna's role? Will it be? Will Craig, immediately, what's kind of the timeline on on how we fill in uh, Jose Osuna?
2: I mean, I, I'm going to go ahead and assume that as long as he is healthy and ready to go, by all accounts, he will be. Phillip Evans will be on the opening day roster next year as a utility bench guy, you know, the old Osuna role. You know, g- g- get some starts at third base when Hayes gets the day down. Maybe get some starts in right field over Polanco against lefties or at first base against a tough lefty instead of Bell or Moran. You know, if, if there is the universal DH, Mike, I could see him DHing some again, especially against lefties. So I, I think you see Evans on the opening day roster. As for Will Craig, I I think that's uh, I don't know. If, I I think Craig's a guy where I've never been super high on him. He had that one year in Altoona where his power really flashed, but since he's gotten to Indy, the power's been gone. And I, I don't know. I I think Craig. I don't, I don't foresee him being on the opening day roster next year. You know, I, I think that the Pirates will add one or two bench guys in the offseason. You throw in your Evans. You throw in, you know, Anthony Alford or Jared Oliver, whoever doesn't want a job in center field. You know, you, you throw in Eric Gonzalez and Cole Tucker and Michael Perez. Just I just don't see the spot for him. Um, but, yeah, I, I could see a scenario where, let's say, we get into next season and there's an injury or whatever it might be with Josh Bell or Colin Moran. Or maybe they look to give Will Craig a little bit of an extended look to see what they have in him, but I, Craig's a guy that I've just—I've never been super high on him. So, but hey, you know, there's been plenty of guys over the years I wasn't high on that turned out to be great baseball players.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I I know what you're saying, Marty, for sure. Um, and that was kind of where I was going with that. You know, in terms of spring training, this is a big spring training for Will Craig. You know, this upcoming year because. Really, you know, it, it's about letting Will Craig get more at bats in spring training when you let Jose Asuna go. You know what I mean? Now you're not splitting at bats between those, so you give Will Craig more of a chance. And if Will Craig doesn't perform, like you said, then maybe you, you keep him in Triple A and or you move on at that point based off of like you said his recent numbers. You know, one thing we do have to keep in mind um, is. You know, you talked about Will Craig's power disappearing and the the power disappeared under the previous regime. So, you know, that is an X, you know, a little bit of a wild card here. If, you know, look at Colin Moran and the power he was able to tap back into once they started working with him in his launch angle. You know, I, I would be interested to see you know, if Craig can put together a, spr- a strong spring or not. But if he doesn't, you know, I, I'm on board with you for sure, Marty. I don't see much of a place for him on this roster.
2: Yeah, Nick, with Craig too, I honestly won't be surprised if he doesn't survive this offseason as a member of the 40-man roster. Um, the 40-man roster is full right now. The Pirates have the number one pick in the Roll 5 draft. We'll get into that more here in a little bit, I know. But when you have the number one pick in the Roll 5 draft, you're likely going to take somebody – there's going to be signings. There's going to be trades where there's going to be your non-roster invitees who make the club. You know, I, I think it's far from a given that Will Craig's even still on the 40-man roster come opening day.
0: There's options uh, for the organization with Will Craig and, and Philip Evans as well with the Osuna move. These moves, Williams and Osuna, were both made to uh, to protect a couple of prospects from that Rule 5 draft. Max Cranick, Rodolfo Castro – what do you guys know about these two, and why were these moves made? You know, was it worth it to protect these two young prospects?
1: I'll start off with uh, Castro. Uh, he is definitely an intriguing prospect in terms of something the Pirates desperately need in the system. They need power, and Castro is, you know, he he gives power potential. You know, in terms of his power. Over in 2019, between low A and high A, he hit 19 home runs. The year before that, uh, in low A, which he you know spent and repeated over in 2019. But he still hit 20 home runs there. Uh, his WRC plus um, was 131. Uh, at low a in 2019 so there's obviously a lot of power there in terms of his position flexibility in the low minors he started off as a shortstop and you know but since then they've used him at a lot of different positions so I think you know looking at him long term he's probably you know a a utility player but one that definitely you know will bring some pop off the bench Kranich, right now I'm looking at him as still a potential number three rotation piece. Uh, I wouldn't go much above that at this point. Um, He has a plus fastball that he can ride up in the upper 90s, apparently. Um, In terms of his changeup, it's also a plus pitch. It's one of those pitches that he focused on throwing in high school. Uh, One interesting note about Krannik is he didn't really start throwing a breaking pitch until he got into the Pittsburgh Pirates system. And, you know, right now, Fangraphs is showing it as a 55 slider. So, you know, you're looking at a pitcher who could have uh, three, you know, average to, you know, slightly above average pitches. Uh, So I, I definitely see why they, you know, look to protect him. And bo- both are both are top 30 prospects also in the organization.
2: Throw in real quick, too, if you are interested. I mean, Nick did a nice little breakdown there of Castro. Um, if you are interested in learning more about Rodolfo Castro, what he could bring to the table, um, I wrote a little bit about him over the weekend. So go ahead and check it out on the website. You can find some more info there about Castro.
0: Check those out. We have a ton of articles out right now breaking down everything going on around the organization. You can find that at rumbunter.com. Our social media will have it as well. And- We have an app, download the run bunter app, find that on the app store, check all that stuff out. Let's talk about this rule five draft a little bit. We just talked about the two pirates prospects that will not be uh, in it. The pirates though have the number one pick in this rule five draft. Who do you guys think they're going to take? What are, uh, I I don't know, I guess what are you guys looking at for this, this rule five draft coming up here?
2: This is also something I was writing about a little bit over the weekend. Um, I mean, obviously, teams do not have to take a player in the Rule 5 draft. When you have the number one overall pick, you're likely going to because you might be able to find someone to can stick with your club. Um, right now, two guys I'm focused on are two relievers. There's Eniel De Los Santos from the Phillies, who actually has some major league experience with the Phillies, has a plus fastball. You know, he, he could probably be a pretty good reliever out of a major league bullpen if he can get his control. Uh, Under control, he has a career 10% walk rate in the major leagues in 30 innings. So I think that's one name to watch. And there will be an article up on the site on Monday about Zach Pop, who um, is in the Orioles system. And I'm a little surprised he wasn't protected. Pop was actually part of the Manny Machado trade. And if you look at his minor league numbers, the highest ERA he has ever had is 253. And three times he's had an ERA under one. So, and the guy gets a lot of strikeouts as well. He almost has a strikeout rating for his minor league career. So, again, Pop's probably a guy that, you know, if you can stash him in the bullpen, let him refine some things, work on some things, could probably be a pretty good reliever down the road for you. So, I I think those are two names to watch. And, uh, yeah, I just, I think, between De Los Santos and Pop, especially the Pirate bullpen, you know, you're going to have jobs available going into next year. If Richard Rodriguez is not traded, he'll have a spot. And, you know, you got to imagine Chris Stratton, Blake Cederland, Jeff Hartley, but probably locked in. But otherwise, that bullpen's pretty, probably pretty wide open heading into the year. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Pirates try and take a potential bullpen arm with the top pick in the roll five draft.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you, Marty. I mean, you know, I think relievers are the way to go. Uh, you have, like you said, two very interesting ones who have potential back end stuff in a bullpen that doesn't have anyone who's really, you know, clear cut stepping up to be that, especially with the loss of birdie. I look at both those relievers and I say, you know, would I rather have them or Cal Crick? And yeah, the answer is pretty simple to me. So to me, I'm, I'm moving forward with one of those guys. Um, you know, there's other top prospects on there, but a lot of the, top prospects on there you're talking about young guys who have barely played above high a um and also then you're talking about trying to stash them in a spot like on your bench or as a backup catcher you know it's you put your roster in a tough spot so that's why i think you know taking a power reliever is definitely you know the best
0: and safest way to go Open depth is going to be key, and there's spots like you guys are talking about. There's spots open for, for the taking. That kind of leads us to, you know, a little bit of free agency talk. A name Luis Pedromo has been circulated around this week. He was designated for assignment by the San Diego Padres. They selected three players. This is a guy with Tommy John surgery history, um, uh, but you know, a guy that could really provide some depth to this bullpen. He has a 5.19 career ERA. Uh, he had a 21% strikeout rate just a year ago. Is this uh, a realistic signing for the Pirates? And I guess when um, do we think that move is going to come if it does?
2: Yeah, I wrote about Perdomo over the weekend after San Diego DFA'd him. Um, he's always had a very good arm. He was a highly rated prospect in the Padres farm system who has in recent years made the transition to being a full-time reliever after starting some early in his career. Um. It, Like with a guy like Perdomo, I mean, obviously, he was designated for Simon for a reason. You know, you you shouldn't expect those guys to come in and be some world beater or anything. But if you look at some of his numbers in his career as a reliever, you know, his his ERA is not super pretty, but his FIP is 4.5, which, or 4.4, so even a little bit better than 4.5. Like, you know, you'll take that as your long man. You'll take that as your middle innings man out of your bullpen. You know, if he could get a little bit of an uptick in his strikeout rate, he doesn't give up a lot of home runs. Like, you know, he, he's a guy who might be an interesting addition to this bullpen and a bullpen that doesn't really have a long-arm, long-inning long, arm, long, long inning guy right now.
0: Yeah, and I think Pedromo, too, um, you know, is a guy that maybe one of those reasons was because of that injury history. How much do you think that plays into some of these decisions right now? I guess especially for Pedromo, is that something to be worried about um, you know, his surgeries and whatnot, if the pirates were to bring him in.
2: When teams are clearing roster spots, rather be to protect players in roll five draft, make room for new additions. You know, when you're in a little bit of a roster crunch and you're trying to decide who it is you want to designate for assignment or outright or whatever it might be. If you have someone with a little bit of an injury past, you know, that probably does put them behind the ball a little bit. Cause you always have to wonder, you know, what are they going to be like post injury? What if they get hurt again? So I'm sure that probably was a factor in the Padres' decision-making.
1: I mean, you got to wonder if that might have played in to the Williams' decision a little bit. You know, he hasn't exactly been healthy, and he hasn't exactly been the same pitcher since he's had, you know, those health issues. So, yeah, I think, like Marty said, that makes sense. I think across baseball right now, you know, you saw a lot of players DFA'd, you know, like Padermo, uh, Hunter Renfro was, like – you know, you're you're seeing guys who have flaws, whether it be injuries or, you know, maybe can only hit certain, you know, lefty or righties, whatever. But baseball across the league, they're cutting more players to save money. And injuries are, you know, unfortunately uh, a big teller on the free agent market. And teams right now do not want to spend that money.
0: Yeah, I think that's a testament too to how the game has changed. Obviously, injuries are going to hurt stock no matter what the year is, but the advanced numbers, the metrics you can get on guys now, I think you know puts certain players in a position they might not have been in 1980 or 1975. um And you know, you also wonder though, like you know, and
1: that's kind of what Marty's getting at here though. A team like the Pirates, they have to kind of try to take advantage of that, and they have before, and you know. It, we laugh about it now just because like Neil Huntington and the way he went about it, but really that's what it comes down to. The pirates have to find these guys on, on the free agent market, these bounce back candidates. And like Marty said, you want to look for guys who, you know, have the tools and might just need the opportunity or the change of scenery. And Padermo is, you know, he kind of fits that role. Yeah, without
2: a doubt. I mean, like you said, Nick, you kind of look back at the, the the glory years in Neil Huntington, and you know, people laughed when they signed Francisco Liriano. They laughed when they signed Russell Martin. They laughed when they signed Jason Grilley. They laughed when they traded for Mark Melanson, but that's what they did. They went out, they identified guys who, you know, you look further than just their ERA or whatever it might be. You look at their pitches, you look at the stuff. You know, you look at their advanced metrics, their hard hit rates, things like this, and that's how you determine – you know, one thing Neil Huntington always used to say whenever they're acquiring players, they're not worried about what's on the back of the, of the bubblegum card. You know, they're, they're worried about what's going to be on that in the future. They're trying to project these guys' futures, and that's what a good front office is going to do. And, you know, Ben Charrington's going right to operate the same way. So there, there's not a doubt in my mind that there will be guys on the market, these bounce-back type of guys that you could see the Pirates pursue this offseason, especially pitching
0: yeah I think the same way, and even more so with this new regime we, you know we we heard about early on how much they use the numbers with Neil Huntington and that group, but they ditched it. you know I think Ben Sherrington's really gonna take numbers into account with all of these signings with every player that comes through the organization, and you have to be that way in Pittsburgh to win small market baseball in twenty twenty is so much different than it used to be. You have to be able to kind of work the system um to to get the players you need to win, Chase Anderson, another guy that the Pirates have talked about signing um, or, or is, you know, some buzz has been around him. The Pirates may sign him another guy that could be a great bounce back pitcher, guy that can make starts for the Pirates. I kind of see this as maybe a, a Derek Holland even um, in 2021. How do you guys feel about Chase Anderson? Is this signing realistic for Pittsburgh?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he would be a little bit of a step up from Holland. I think it would be a similar thing where you hope to bring him in here you hope he bounces back and then you hope to ship him out you know as soon as possible for you know a best return but right i mean you're looking at this point for a guy who can help your rotation obviously they didn't believe that was going to be Trevor Williams so unless you're going to give it to a younger guy you're looking to give it to a guy that you know you might be able to bring in and use as a potential trade chip And, you know, I think Anderson could represent that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Anderson is another guy I wrote about on the site recently. So you can go on there and check it out and really get into the nitty-gritty and the details about why I believe he's a good bounce-back candidate. But um, basically, the home run ball plagued him last year, and something like 70% of the home runs he gave up came across two starts, one at Fenway Park, one at Yankee Stadium. You know, two places the ball flies out. Pitches home games at the Rogers Center in Toronto. Another place where the ball really flies. So I think Chase Anderson's a guy who's always pitched well in his career. And if he's looking for a one-year bounce-back deal, I'd love to see the Pirates try and get it with him. You know, let him come here, let him pitch well. And uh, like Nick said, and then, you know, hopefully you can flip him in July for something nice because there's always a demand for starting pitching. And this Pirate pitching staff next year, you know, Joe Musgrove's probably going to be your – and this is if Musgrove isn't traded, which seems very possible, if not likely – if Joe's still here, he's your veteran. So, you know, you could really use some veteran presence in that, in that rotation. You know, a guy like Anderson, he's pitching the postseason. He's pitched a lot of games in his career. That's always good for, you know, your Chad Cools, your Jamison Tyones, Cody Bolton, assuming he debuts some point next year, JT Brubaker. Let these guys really pick his mind. That That's always beneficial, too.
0: And, and you got to think it's – you know, a great opportunity. These players look at it as a great opportunity to come to Pittsburgh from what we've gathered, you know, in our interview with Michael McHenry and current players, everything else. There's a culture that's been created already in Pittsburgh that allows players to come in and be comfortable. Uh, Chase Anderson, a guy that had a 7.22 ERA last year, you know, I think this is a chance for the Pirates to bring somebody in that they could really turn around. And the veteran presence too. You're you're spot on, Marty. Um, The Pirates aren't going to have much of that next year a name that people are a little bit more familiar with that could definitely add some veteran presence as Drupal Cabrera, some infield depth. Uh, you know, he hits well against lefties. That's something this team is looking for. Is this signing going to happen? I would I would love to see this one personally.
2: Yeah, um, Cabrera is a guy. Noah wrote about him over the weekend on the website. Um, you know, he's always hit left-handed, pitching well in his career. You know, he can play the corner and fill positions. You know, so if you are looking, let's say – you have the universal DH and Colin Moran's your first baseman and you're looking for a platoon option for him at first base, you know, Cabrera could fit that bill. So I think Cabrera is a guy where any serious interest from the pirates is going to depend on what their plans are for 2021. You know, is Moran going to be at first, do you want to get a platoon partner, you know, or what do you do with bell? You might even want to platoon him a little bit or let Cabrera DH against lefties. If we have the DH, But I definitely think it's a name at least worth monitoring because if you look at the Pirates' needs heading into next year, you know, bench help, which obviously Cabrera could do that. They could use some more right-handed pop against lefties. Cabrera could provide that, and he would do it at likely a pretty cheap price. And again, similar to guys like Chase Anderson, good veteran presence. Cabrera's played in his One World Series before, you know, and he might be able to net you something in July.
0: What do you guys think this says about – where the Pirates look to compete in 2021, these signings, you know, you're going to need to fill the, uh, you know, what you need regardless, but where does this names like Cabrera, Anderson, Padromo, does this guy, you know, make you guys think that the Pirates um, are really trying to put together a campaign to win. Obviously you're trying to win every year, but has the rebuild kind of accelerated to an extent? Um, and, you know, is that the Pirates mindset now? Let's sign guys to try to win now.
2: In my mind, it doesn't change anything um it's going to take something pretty pretty crazy to happen for the pirates to contend in 2021 um you know you go out and you add these guys for the reasons we've said good veteran presence let your young players learn from him you know you you, you can then look to trade them in july to help keep bringing in young talent keep bringing players into the farm system so I, to me, you know, if they would sign someone like this, that doesn't change anything. Now, I mean, if the Pirates would do something like, and obviously this is never going to happen, but if they'll go out and sign like George Springer to play center field, then you start your, your expectations and the conversation about the team changes. But obviously that's not going to happen. But signing these veteran bounce back guys on one and two year contracts, looking to potentially flip them down the road, that doesn't change where you're at right now in terms of competing.
1: No. And I think Charrington's comments recently have suggested that, um, you know, it sounds like he's setting up for a relatively active winner compared to, I think last winter, he said he's been in contact with every team in the league already uh, talking about, you know, players that, you know, he would like to get or who could be available uh, as well as the free agent market. He said he plans on adding, you know, talent both f- through free agency and on the trade market. So I I do, you know, I I am expecting that, you know, overall, we should have a little more of a entertaining offseason than we did last year. I think Charrington has gotten a better idea of, you know, identifying what the Pittsburgh Pirates organization's needs are obviously we have a lot of needs, but you know, you know what I'm saying, but also being able to evaluate his players. Um, so yeah, I think overall, I, I don't think Charrington's ever, I don't think he's going to really stray from his path is what I'm saying. You know what I mean?
0: You know, I guess kind of what I'm getting at is how, how far along are we on that path now? You know, we've talked about when this team looks to win, um, you know, let, let's update that a little bit. Is this? Are we still looking with everything that's happened already this off season? You know, with potential signings, everything else. Where's that window looking for for real contention now?
1: You know, I would say we're still looking at 2022, just as like a 2012 year. Uh, you know, as a at least in it type of thing. You know, a winning season. I think it would be there. Um, I just think looking at the minor league system. I that's when the real talent in the organization is going to really start to come up. So that's kind of where I'm looking 2022. I think 2023 is the year that we would really take that, um, you know, step forward and be an actual playoff contender.
2: Yeah. I'm with you, Nick. I think 2022, you know, if it all goes according to plan, you could have a nice little lineup with Brian Hayes, Brian Reynolds, Travis Swaggerty, O'Neal Potentially Cruz, Nick, Nick Gonzalez. Gonzalez probably knocking on the door oh, at right. that point you know, Colin Moran, if he's continuing to hit like he did this past year as your veteran power guy, and you're starting rotation. At that point, you should have Cody Bolton here. You should know by then what Mitch Keller is. And then once you get into 2023, that's when it really could get fun because that's when, I mean, right now the Pirates have as, I will argue that the Pirates have as good a group of young pitching prospects we have three potential top
1: 25 yeah pitching and by like,
2: 2023 you're looking at Quinn Priester and Tanaj Thomas and and this group you know Brennan Malone cracking this starting rotation and you can even throw in some of the guys that drafted last year like Carmen magensky Jared Jones Nick Garcia like by 2023 you should really start to see this group of young starting pitching prospects start to reach the majors and complement what knock on wood could be a v- pretty solid starting lineup by
0: then. It's just about patience. It's about waiting. You know, we're in a microwave culture where everybody wants it now, but um, you know, this, this management is building something here. We've, you know, talked about it since the day Ben Sherrington got to town, something's brewing. This team will make some moves this offseason. nothing that will move the needle too much in one way or the other. Uh, But those are some names that that we've decided are definitely the most notable at this point, the most realistic. Um, A a guy that has been in talks of not being with the Pirates anymore for quite some time now, Adam Frazier. I mean, I feel like we've said this dude's name and the word trade in the same sentence about 100 times. Still on the roster as of now. uh, But some articles came out this week on Ron Bunter, kind of highlighting teams that would definitely be uh, potential buyers, the Nationals, the Mets. What do you guys think about these two Um, and how soon do we see Adam Frazier traded if he is this off season?
2: I, I fully expect Adam Frazier to be traded this off season. I, I, I know we sat here and said, we thought he'd get traded last summer and he didn't, but it's, you know, they, they had the, the GM meetings were done virtually a week or two ago. And from talking to some sources within the industry, it seems like Charrington was trying to lay some groundwork for potential Frazier moves and potential Frazier trades whenever it comes time for the winter meetings here in a few weeks. Um, I, I just my, my biggest thing is you already have a log jam at the middle infield. And um I think Frazier goes because they they want to get Tucker back to shortstop. You're gonna want to move Newman a second. Nick Gonzalez is coming in a hurry. You know, I think the Washington Nationals, Nick, I know that's a team you've written about. They make a lot of sense. New York Mets can make sense with Robbie Cano out. You know, but I just, I, I can't envision Adam Frazier still being on this team when the season starts.
1: I do think that, you know, and that that's kind of what I was hinting at with Charrington being able to really evaluate his players. You know, there was a lot of buzz about Frazier last offseason. I think Charrington wasn't prepared to trade him because I don't think he really knew, you know, I think he wanted to see Adam Frazier and be able to Really understand the type of player he was before he traded him, just because, you know, outside of Pittsburgh, I doubt he's you know all that well known in terms of, you know, in terms of mainstream you know media conversation. You so obviously you know the front office guys. You know, they they know everyone. I'm sure Charrington knew about Adam Frazier, but he didn't want to just trade him to trade him. And, and that that's what, you know, the difference is. I think Huntington would have walked into last offseason, saw that there's interest in him, and probably would have took a trade for him. Instead, Charrington didn't want to make a deal just to make a deal. And I think that's why you still see Adam Frazier here. Unfortunately, Frazier didn't do you know, a ton per se to help his trade value. But I also don't think he did a ton to hurt his trade value. I think, you know, he's at this point carved out, you know, who he is as a player and teams know what they're getting in Adam Frazier. So like Marty said, with the glut in the infield, you know, it's it's time to move him. He's got two years left of control Um, with Philip Evans also coming back. You know, you're looking at, just it, the same reason you let go of Williams, the same reason you let go of Asuna. It's time to get some of these younger players more opportunities.
0: Exactly. And it's it's sad that Adam Frazier didn't have the season that we thought he might could have because this was really the year that he could have added some serious trade value. But like you said, he, I don't think he heard it this year. He's been in that mold for a I little mean, bit. he got now. the you Gold Glove
1: nomination still. You know, he's a exactly. lefty bat. Yeah.
0: You know what you're getting at the end of the day. You know what you're getting in Adam Frazier, um, and you hope to get something in return that could at least provide you know future value. With Adam Frazier, there's a logjam. There's too many guys that that are trying to fill in those roles. It's just it's not realistic that Adam Frazier wins with this team when that window does come. You know we'll see we'll see what happens. Those two teams are definitely potential candidates, um, and and we'll know a lot more as we continue to get close to the winter meetings and after. Uh, but we will see with Adam Frazier we've been talking about that trade for a while a guy that we've been talking about for a really long time for a lot of different reasons but uh, more recently about will he make the hall of fame or not Barry Bonds and two other pirates are on this year's ballot AJ Burnett and Aramis Ramirez and guys we talked about it before the show you know we really want to focus in here on Burnett and Ramirez more so than Bonds Burnett especially but Let's start with Bonds, just kind of touch on it. Is this the year? He's only got two chances left. Is this the year we see Barry Bonds make the Hall of Fame?
2: Unfortunately, I don't don't think Barry Bonds ever gets in the Hall of Fame, which is a shame to me. I mean, in my opinion, Barry Lamar Bonds is the best baseball player who has ever lived. You know, I I understand the steroids and that, but one thing I always say about when it comes to people hammering the guys from the steroid era was at the time it – It was legal in baseball. You can't hammer guys for doing something that was legal. And secondly, you know, steroids didn't give Barry the hand-eye coordination that he had to hit the way he did. You know, if he never goes to the San Francisco Giants, if he spends his entire career in Pittsburgh and there's never any of the Balco controversy and all that, he's still a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was putting that kind of career together in Pittsburgh. You know, so like I said, I don't want to get off on this too much, but... It pains me to say Barry will never make it, but he'll never make it. And it's a shame because, again, like I said, in my opinion, Barry Bonds is the best baseball player who has ever lived.
1: I think if there was a year, um, this might be it, though. Uh, The ballot overall, I think, is pretty weak in terms of there's no really slam dunks on there. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how much ground, you know, if he picks up a lot of ground or not. Uh, like Trey said, with only two years left on the bout, he's obviously running out of time. So he'll have to take a pretty big jump this year. And But I think there is the opportunity that he might just because there's no real, you know, standouts. Yeah, this is a hard one.
0: I mean, you know, you got a guy that has done everything to earn it, uh, but you got to wonder what those numbers look like without the steroids. I'm with you, Marty. I think they're still Hall of Fame worthy, if nothing else. Uh, maybe not, you know, the all-time home run leader, but we'll never know. Uh, we'll see if he makes the Hall of Fame this year or next year. Clock's definitely running out. AJ Burnett, though, has a lot of time to make the Hall of Fame. He's got 10 chances at it. On the ballot, 2,500 career strikeouts. He had an under-4 career ERA. And, this, you know, what he meant to the city of Pittsburgh, this is so awesome to see. I, I think the reaction to this was excellent, the way he handled it. Um, and, and, you know, we'll see if he gets in. How about A.J. Burnett? It, really, it feels like he was just playing for the Pirates. It's, it's tough to think that he's already uh, on the ballot.
2: Yeah, I mean, A.J.'s a guy – I i have a hard time seeing him getting in. I mean, if it was the Hall of Very Good or the Hall of Great, I think he's definitely in. Um, but, man, it doesn't – you can't take away what he meant to this city, what he meant to this team. It just when he showed up and he changed the culture, along with Andrew McCutcheon and Clint Hurdle and Russell Martin and that crew – and what the Pirates accomplished in those three years, thanks in large part to AJ Burnett. I, I just I would love to see him in because I think people outside of Pittsburgh I don't think they understand how much he meant to turning this train wreck around. Like you know, when Burnett got here, the Pirates had, had twenty consecutive losing seasons. And since he's been here, what, it was seven years ago when he came to Pittsburgh, and obviously he wasn't here for all of these seasons, but since he arrived in Pittsburgh well, eight years ago, excuse me, 2012, they've had four winning seasons. I don't think that's a coincidence. A.J. showed up. He helped change the clubhouse. He helped change the culture. He helped change the attitude. And on top of all that, the dude was a damn good starting pitcher and put together some of the best starting pitching seasons in Pirate history. Again, I don't think he gets into the Hall of Fame, I think he's one of those guys that will always fall just a little bit short in the voting. But, man, if I had a Hall of Fame vote, being a Pirate fan there, I would vote for AJ without thinking twice.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you, Marty. I I can't add much more to that. Um, You know, he definitely um, changed Pirate baseball for our generation. Uh, I don't know if we would be, you know, doing this right now if it wasn't for A.J. Burnett, you know? I yeah. mean, honestly.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, before, like, obviously, I was always a Pirate fan growing up and whatnot. Yeah. But We
1: both were born in 92, so. Exactly. exactly.
2: You know, whenever, <laughs> whenever, you know, you and I are born two, three months before it said Bream slides across home plate, you know, you grew up watching a lot of suck. So, you know. Probably, yeah.
1: I mean, I wouldn't be shocked.
2: Probably, yeah, because. I mean, Nick was Nick was born in July '92, and I was in August, so we just totally derailed the Pirates for the first twenty years of our life. But, but no, it's it's just whenever you grow up watching that, and you root for them, and you, you don't. I can speak from a fan standpoint from that 2012 season when the Pirates were in it until late September and fell apart, finished a couple of games under 500. My investment into this team completely changed. You know, you get more emotionally invested especially 13, 14, and 15, when you spend those summers living a pennant race, man, there's nothing better in sports whenever your baseball team spends a summer in a pennant race. There is nothing better than that. And, again, I don't – without A.J. Burnett, even with the other talent they had, if not for him putting his foot down, changing the culture, changing the clubhouse, you know, everybody – the sit-the-F-down stuff and just – I. I don't think those teams in those seasons as magical and as special as they were happen without AJ. And I think there are a lot of people who are pirate fans today who would not be pirate fans. If it were not for AJ Burnett.
0: AJ Burnett's truly one of those guys that, that you just love the fact that he's on your team. You know, there's guys that you enjoy having on your roster because of what they produce, but in every aspect of the game, AJ Burnett is somebody you truly love having on your team. You have to look past the numbers you know his numbers were were great but just what he meant for for that team and it wasn't um you know one of those situations where it was like Chris Archer you gave up big pieces to get him or you spent a lot of money or anything else he came in knowing his situation and he took advantage and got this team back to being relevant got this team you know obviously uh it wasn't just them and he wasn't even the main piece but he meant so much um and it's great to see him get on this ballot Let's talk Aramis Ramirez just a little bit. Didn't spend too much time with the Pittsburgh Pirates, but uh, a, a big part of that 2013 playoff run, just as far as the clubhouse presence, everything else. Um, retired with the Pirates after that 2015 wildcard game. Great to see three on the ballot this year.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I wrote about him a lot in my article just because he, he was, as much as AJ met to this organization, and Ramos Ramirez was... You know, very much a representation of all all the things that was went wrong with this organization. You know, you talk about a young, up and coming third base prospect who they gave up on, trade away for basically, you know, a, a a bunch of nothing, and he went on to become you know one of the better third basemen's in the National League and playing in the playoffs every year. So really, it was nice for him to come back here in twenty fifteen. And that, you know, that year that, you know, we really, man, I can't remember. I think Huntington made like six trades or something like that, leading to that deadline. So Huntington was really trying to get creative and, you know, put, put his chips in the best he could and bringing Ramirez back to be a part of that, you know, I thought was kind of like poetic in a way, just to, you know, have him back on the roster in a meaningful way.
2: Yeah. I, yeah, that, I, I'm with you with with Ramirez. You know, I think it's kind of funny, like you said, he represents everything that was so wrong with this franchise for so long. You know, trading him in an absolute salary dump and getting nothing in return, like are arguably the worst trade in pirate history. But you know, then whenever he came back and he it, it was it was nice to see too when he came back in 15. You knew he was going to retire at the end of the year. He'd already made that clear, but he came back and he produced. You know, he was a big RBI guy for the Pirates down the stretch in 2015. Played a big role in that team getting 98 wins. So it was just fun to see his career really come full circle. And I'm sure he enjoyed it as well to, you know, even though he played the bulk of his career with Chicago and Milwaukee, to still be able to finish his career where it started and to be able to finish it on a team that did win 98 games.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when you talk Hall of Fame, too, and Nick did a great job of highlighting this, you have to just look at the career. It hurts, uh, you know, how he left Pittsburgh or how Pittsburgh left him, rather. Um and and you know to see him come back was very poetic and, and a Hall of Fame career if nothing else maybe not this time around uh, but I, I think at some point we will see around the Ramirez in the Hall of Fame no doubt the Hall of Fame uh, selection will be in January we're gonna have coverage around that as well and, and coverage continuing throughout this offseason. like I said guys go check out the articles there's so much out right now you can find that on our on our social media on the Rumbunter app. Fansided.com slash as well, where you can find all of our podcasts. We're on Apple Music now. Check it out there if that's easiest for you. Um, again, on fansided.com, Omni.com, and our social media as well. That's going to do it for this episode. We are going to have Madras on us with next week uh, and continue to preview this offseason, get to know him and talk about what's to come with his career in Pittsburgh. Until next time, my name is Trey Annity, joined as always by Nick Caporoso and Marty Leap. Have a great week, everybody. Let's go, Bucks.